Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Live. You have to be that loud, Jay. Sorry, he always tells me constantly. <laughs> look, look at over red line. Just talk normal but close. Normal but close. We're on live on the Next Step Podcast with Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an addict. Why has it been so long since we've recorded a new episode? Because we've been traveling fools, man. You were hiking across the who knows where. Where were you at? Uh, I don't even know. We but like were general for someone that's in Utah. The highest. The world. So, you know, Utah who claims to have all these huge mountains. They have California claims that they have the highest. We, have, we do have the tallest the mountain tallest in the 40, lower 48, okay. besides Alaska. Okay. Um, and so we were hiking up and around that area. You were north of LA? Yeah, uh, yes, Northeast for sure. Of LA. Yeah. Um, Out in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, Brad was gone. For was, Lone Pine was the town. And then we hiked up from there. He was off the grid, is what he's trying to say, and I was in Texas. So, so anyways, we were nowhere near each other. But, why, and then when we were in Mexico, we were gone to Mexico, then that other week we uploaded a podcast from the interview from Leading LDS. That was a fun one. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I and really enjoyed it. And welcome a lot of new listeners. Yeah, for sure. So we've got uh, quite a few uh, direct messages and web mails and Facebook posts of, hey, I got, turned, got some emails, like, hey, oh, got cool. turned on from Leading LDS, great job. So that's good. We really enjoyed it. Enjoyed talking We're to him, too. not offending people. Nope. I thought we would. I, I th- did Every time too. I talk on the mic, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Whenever we press stop, I'm like, well, that's going to offend some people. <laughs> We're going to get some hate emails. Hey, hey, but that. we haven't gotten it yet, surprisingly. Well, don't Got some send them. You know, even if you're offended, just keep quiet. Yeah, just keep quiet. Because Talk to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. So we uh, got a good uh, news. The oh, attic yeah. coming in at the end. Yeah, that's in. But right now, it's a news section. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, that's right. News. Yeah. Uh, what do you got for we me? We surfed this morning together. We did. Surf news, definitely good. Uh, three to four, occasional five-footers. We didn't get any of those bigger Dude, ones. Fun message. I got a Facebook message, but I've been off the grid for a while. Yeah. And it was like, hey, Brad, Jay, this is so-and-so. We actually need the surf report. We're coming on vacation to Southern California. Oh, no and way. And we need the surf report. We're going to be down in the San Diego area or whatever. And I looked. It was like two weeks I haven't even been back on there, but it was like two weeks before when I finally responded. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if that was you, I'm sorry. Sorry. Hopefully you, I mean, maybe you came now. The water's beautifully warm down here. Super warm. Uh, we do have some waves, not a lot of shark sightings. Yes, so finally. Finally he's backed off. The, there, we do have a couple fans of our surf report. Yes, we do. Yes, so, we do. Thank you. So on to news. Do you have any got? news? Do you have any news? Well, just the, the singer of Lincoln Park that passed away. That was, that was, that was kind of a bummer. He's always, he's had, what's his name again? Chester. Chester Bennington. Bennington. He's uh, started, I watched a little clip on him. He had done, you know, some interviews. Whoa. Whoa. Some Whoa. ads going ah, on. Ah, ads. Sorry. Ah, don't know where I am. Okay. Um, Chester had started smoking pot when he was age 11, but you know, pot's not a big deal, right? But no, um, it's healthy, right? It's healthy, it's healthy. Even though he, he claims that it led to all these other drugs that he ended up on, alcohol abuse. Which every addict that we've ever spoken to every, says the same thing, Most right? every drug addict I've ever met, opiate addict, alcoholic, started, well, not alcoholic, but usually with drugs, always starts with pot. But that's a side note. Um, and yeah, man, he hung himself. And uh, he's 40 years old. He 41. Leaves, 41, leaves behind six kids. I mean, this is just sad. 
sad that someone gets to that point where they don't have enough hope. They got it in their life. And I'm sure this guy's been to expensive rehabs and done recovery, but it's funny that the things that Brad's just getting hit up by all these ads. Yeah, man, this, I'm going to post uh, the people uh, website on there, pictures of them, and they've just got like ads oh, People.com is no joke on the click ads. Sorry for the pop-ups you're going to get if you click on our link. Anyways. Lots of pictures. He's got those sweet plugs in the ears. Did you ever get earrings? No. I had an I had I had eyebrow ring. Right okay, here. where? Right there. No, no scar? Boom. Well, someone hit me in it, and I took it out. Okay. I bled everywhere. I never understood the plugs, like engorging your ears. I thought they were ears. cool, but look at that. I don't have earlobes, bro. Mine link in. Wait, wait. You weird. thought they were cool? Of course. This is my time. It's early 2000s. But so like the like big rat. holes in your ears. Not you big thought, holes, but the smaller ones. I thought those like were rad. plugs. For sure. You thought that, do you still think it's cool? I mean, not anymore. It's not cool, but it was for a okay. time. So that being said, like, in a time, like the bands I listened to early two thousands, like everyone had those, like right. But then you see the dudes now working at Whole Foods with like the super slopey earlobes yeah. that used to have plugs in the nineties or early two thousands. True, true. But yeah, I guess you didn't think about it. Yeah, you no think one, about being what are you cool. Thinking then? about being an adult when you were a kid? Yes, no. I did. Uh, yep. Well, you were raised Mormon. I was called. <laughs> well, I've been. I have a new term. People are calling me lately. What? A normie? A normie. Yeah. Well, you're a normie. The rest of us <laughs> that are usually drug addicts and alcoholics do not think that far ahead. We're living in the moment and chaos. Uh, yeah. Anyways, what we're talking about. So it's a bummer that he died. It seems like it, um, obviously he had a life. He had a lot of abuse as a child. But it led to drugs and alcohol, and you know what? Drugs and alcohol are not the answer. Here's the this guy had all the money in the world, had all the resources, but yet couldn't oh. find happiness, and that's a bummer. Check it out. He was he was found on Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday. He and Chris Cornell were buddies, and Chris Cornell and just died. died of hanging himself too. Ugh. So we're bummer, man. That's related. So that's the, mental health issues in this if country, you're man. You're depressed. You're hung. Go get some help. Go talk to someone. Yeah. Let them know how you're feeling. Um, it's not a beautiful thing. Suicide is not beautiful. Uh, okay. I Before we got on, we kind of talked about this news story, but you know we don't have missionaries in Russia? No. No, I know I know that there's issues in certain parts of the country, but I thought that was old school. I thought that we're allowed to be there. So when I was, uh, my generation was the first missionaries to get called to yeah. Russia. So I had some of my, in fact, one of the first ones I know was a After sister missionary. After the Cold War. After the Cold War. That's way back when Brad you studied is. that in school. Yeah. Um, so it was after the Cold War, after the fall of communism, after Reagan, and then it was always a joke when we were kids, like, oh, I got called to Russia. Like, oh. it was a total joke. Like, like, there's no way it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, in like 90, 91, 92, people started getting, people called. Started getting called to Russia. But you can't, pro- can you um, You could back then. Okay. So full-blown, like, it was, because it, it broke up. It wasn't okay. Soviet Union. It was like Ukraine. It was certain parts of it. Well, more recently, the Russians said you cannot proselytize. So anyone getting called to serve in Russia is called as a volunteer. They're no longer missionaries. And proselytizing is not done. Um, so they you can, teach English? They can teach uh, in the church buildings. Oh, they can Old, teach the gospel. Because I know the there's gospel. some missions, right? You can only teach English. Uh, and then unless they ask you, then you can teach them. Yeah, the they can ask you, but then you can... I don't know all the rules. Yeah. Um, so I'm not speaking, obviously, yeah. for the church, but I do know that... Anyways, they, it's not like a normal mission. Not like a normal. Where I went They're to not missionaries. We were out knocking doors, yeah. They're volunteers there, um, so they do a lot of service. And so why you bring up Russia? What because happened Because just, uh, well, uh, earlier this week, the Jehovah's Witness got kicked out of Russia. Wow. Like, they have the liquidated the buildings, the whole thing. Like All their assets. They're done. All their assets are liquidated. Whoa. They don't. They lost all their leases and all their buildings. They're done. Whoa. And that was like, oh, wow. Like, uh, the religious community was... Pretty gnarly to get kicked was, out of a country. Yeah, the religious community was pretty... Even 
though they kind of get beat up a little bit from the Christian and, and religious world, it was still like, a, whoa, it's canary in the coal mine type thing. Yeah. So I saw this one that just was published yesterday that said the headline was Russia court rules against deportation of Mormon volunteers. Wow. And I So they were up further. for debate, though. It was up for debate. Well, what happened was a couple missionaries got kicked out because they were accused of violating the Russian rules against uh, migration, and they were detained and then kicked out, and then their Supreme Court reversed it and said, no, they actually did have all... They were good. All, yeah. The, it says, specifically, the law requires any proselyting to happen within houses of worship. Missionary work conducted on the streets or in residences can be punished with deportation and fines up to $780 per missionary and 15500 for the church. So it's real expensive if yeah. these missionaries are breaking the rules yeah. out there. And we know the church is pretty hardcore with the rules. Yeah. In fact, uh, when I, you're on your mission, you get this little white book if you're not a member listening. When I served my mission with Brad, you get this little white book, and like you carry that book everywhere with you because it has all the laws of your mission, basically the rules to keep. Well, and that goes back to our Articles of Faith, the, mm-hmm. the 12th Article of Faith. Can you quote it? Nope. <laughs> we, I'll start it off. We, we believe. believe. <laughs> I bet you can. Go ahead. Try. We believe... No, I can't. That's I'm just going to read it. <laughs> we believe in the being subject, wait, in being subjects of kings, presidents, rulers, magistrates, in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. That's kind of crazy because when Joe Smith came out with these articles of faith, the, ch- the United States government was persecuting the church. Which the was church. the, which was the, he's being thrown in jail all the time. They're trying to find fault for him. Yeah. And then the proclamation of extermination was put out in Kern County or whatever that was. Yeah. Or not Kern County. Uh, Missouri, I don't know. Missouri, liberty. But yeah, but that's the, but the our you know these articles of faith came out that we believe in being subject to kings, rulers, presidents. We want righteous ones and honorable ones. But I think that's got helped us get and For stay sure. in countries, in countries like that. And that's why sure. we're not you know our mis- our, our volunteers are not there going, dude, don't go rogue, don't like, yeah. like no, stick. Here's the rules of the land. This is what land. we can do. Yeah, stick with it. All right, my last article was a little bit of controversy. In, oh, yeah, and, you, uh, you talked about this earlier in the week. And, I, and this goes home to, close to home. Uh, I actually am an adjunct professor for BYU-Idaho. I don't think I've acknowledged that on the yeah. class before. So, this, so if you need to math, math right? Uh, I teach math and another course that's starting. Brad's up, pretty so. smart when it comes to the numbers. Uh, but so that's why it <laughs> stood up to me is this uh, BYU-Idaho adjunct And where is this article found? Des- uh, Desert, Desert News. News. I'll post okay. it in our show notes. Okay. There's, it's all over the place because uh, we'll get into okay. it. But but in a nutshell, let me explain from the back end what an adjunct professor does, because I think it gets blown up as she's a professor. She's a political science professor. This lady? And she got fired. Well, she's an adjunct online professor, which means we don't come up with our own curriculum. You just I don't, I don't, I support the curriculum that's already been developed, the lectures that are embedded within the online system. Uh, and I haven't taught her class, but you know, you're not creating curriculum or creating lectures. You're helping them understand the existing framework that's there because this and the this content. coursework has already been approved through WASC and through all the accreditation yeah. bodies. So they don't want teachers going rogue and and creating because this is what this and there's is no lecturing. Is there lecturing? No, no. But so that being said, she's basically a support role as an adjunct professor for people enrolled in this class. There may be some now. I don't know her specific class, but it's not. It is not in front of the classroom lecturing. So she's not, an old, she's not a professor that you think of in your mind standing in front of 400 people. Definitely not. So you yeah. read the headlines, you're picturing, oh, a this professor. professor I'm a professor, a, for sure. So she recently That's, graduated. She's 22 years old. That's yeah, blew she, my mind. When she I doesn't have her doctorate degree. Wow, okay. Um, 
not your professor. Even though the headlines say professor, yeah. it's not your typical okay. professor. So and the, what, what happened? Who is this lady? So she posted Who's a... What's this girl's name? Her name, yeah, it's public on here. It's Ruthie Robertson. And she made a post on Facebook. And, you know, I guess this is the straw that broke camel's back, according to their news reports, that posted that question that the church's policy on LGBT. She didn't put all the letters after that. I'm sure some are offended, right? Say, yeah. Isn't there like four more? There's at least four more now. In yeah. fact, there's, I think there's hundreds of different abbreviations. Well, there's a that's for gender. Oh, okay, yeah. This is Sorry, for... I, I get confused. I know, too. I think there's more than just LGBT, but maybe she only cares about the LGBT and not the others. These SJWs, you know what that means? I learned that term. What does that mean? Social... Social justice, justice warriors, warriors okay. man. There's so many of them, it's hard to keep up. So anyways, so, so she... She posted it, and I, and I read it, and she changed it a few times, I think. Um, but in a nutshell, she basically said the church is wrong, and the you know that uh, homosexual activity is no different than heterosexual. And, and I would say, yeah, if you're committing... Uh, fornication, heterosexual, homosexual, you're right, you're both sinning. You're not married until, well, yeah, for sure. Not just so, married, right? Just married, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. But, but then uh, the Lord and the scriptures and our prophets have clarified that actual acting, that homosexuality acting on it is, is a sin. sin. Not, where not having same-sex attraction. Not having same-sex yeah. attraction. Very defined now. So, but yeah, it's defined. And a lot of the previous quotes from our brethren, it, we were talking about it when we were surfing in the day of, yeah. um, I think... Back in the day, my olden days, you know, maybe a lot of the old, you know, if they're quoting McConkey and, and Elder Ballard and things like that, when the word homosexual was stated, it was someone was someone was quote homosexual, they were acting on it. Yeah, they'd already came out to the They world. came out and they were actually Otherwise acting on lived, it. Otherwise they lived, yeah. You know, in the closet, I mean, you may not have been acting on it. Um, yeah. I don't know all, but from my perspective, and so I'm guaranteed that the brethren, the older guys at the time, like, if you said you're a homosexual, you're actually acting on it. Nowadays... There's a distinction in saying, well, you have same subtraction. I may have... Who we've interviewed. We've interviewed yeah, we've interviewed these guys um, that I have... No, they have same-sex attraction, but they're not acting on it. Yeah, and they choose to not act on it, and they never have it. some of them meet, but, too. But, yeah, but the word homosexual could mean either I'm acting on it, I'm not acting on it. It's very I hard to it. understand now. So, so her, her stance was against it, saying the church this. Yes. And what happens? Uh, so she gets fired. Well, she doesn't get her contract renewed. So every... So as an adjunct professor... Every quarter, I get a thing that says, hey, here's your likelihood of being rehired for next semester based wow. on the ban and whether you're going to get it or not, right? So even to this day, you can, you I can don't even yours, know. Like, yeah. I'm scheduled to teach next semester. You have no tenure. No, I have no yeah. idea if I'm going to have it or not. So she has the same thing, right? And she was posting this on her website or her Facebook, Facebook page. Her Facebook, so public, right? Interesting. Well, she claims on her private Facebook post, but um, I was on a few other... Uh, Facebook post on there, and it was interesting. Is someone screenshotted her Facebook page? Can't verify if this is accurate or not. So allegedly, on her Facebook page, said she wrote, "Hey, to all my 170 students on here, the scroll wants to do a piece on me being fired. Let me make sure they get a good view of what our classroom is like." And then gives an email address to there. Also, the post is doing a piece on me. If any of you students want to want to talk about the class, call this number. And yet, in in this. You know, that circled saying hey to all my students where she says her claim was no students followed her online, <laughs> which seems to be a contradiction. Yeah. But nevertheless, if you're in, in uh, some popular commentary, uh, like Ben Shapiro, do you know who he is? He's mm-hmm. a, um, he, he posted it up on there and he's like, she's a teacher at a Mormon school, duh. Like, like yeah, of course you're not going to get yeah, it. Yeah, like if you're at a Jewish university and you're like talking about talking like, 
like Stop complete false. Yeah, it's just like yeah. Yeah, you're like, hey, you should accept Christ because you guys are wrong. Eventually, like eventually, you're you're not following the standards. Yeah, I mean that's so. And this caused a lot of buzz. Now she's on all these anti Mormons. Oh, the anti Mormons love this. So They're, now she's just she's famous. She is insta famous because of this, and she and the news media eats it up, you know, because they're not typic, typically uh, super pro church, whether regardless of what church it is. So I've I found so that now she's famous because of this. Yes. Well, somewhat famous. I think, uh, yeah, I'm sure she's feeling very famous right now. Um, and so good for her. You know, if that's what you need in life, great. Um, she said it, she said it was just the stu- it was just this post. Um, but I've had other people post that said they were in her class and she was rant all quite a bit. Oh. Um, and it is a political science, but you know, political science and then what the church policy on things. May may not coincide, but look, you work for an LDS college. Like, I don't know. I mean, if you, there, there's plenty of other liberal schools that would embrace a very yeah, liberal she theology. Pro- she probably couldn't get a job at a liberal school. <laughs> That's right. um, maybe not. Maybe she will now, though. Maybe, maybe she this will. gives her street cred to be able to get that. Yeah, look at me, man. Maybe she go to Utah State. Wait, so, what's the other one? <laughs> uh, the one with the one up there in Salt Lake. I was the red one. The red one. Everyone's yeah. like either red or blue. Yeah, red Utah. or blue. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they might. I don't know. Maybe she get a job there. Maybe. I think she has to have a doctorate degree, though. Oh, what do you know? Um, so maybe she'd go there and get her undergraduate. But, yeah, she's got street cred amongst the... Uh, the antis. Antis on there. Bless her heart. Well, Jay, that's all the news I have. dun 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 dun, dun. That's all I got, too, man. Our uh, step this week is step three. Uh, hold on. We are doing step four. And so we're going to upload your share for step four. Hopefully we have it. Um, and then we're going to do uh, Ask the Mormon, Ask the Addict. Ooh. And this one is a little bit different. Um, she ne- necessarily is not an addict. Should we, should we do a spoiler right here? Yeah, do it. She is a codependent. What is and, that? Um, she's going to get into it. Well, she's going to get into it. you got to listen to it. So you have to listen. It's what actually is a very interesting. One of the most interesting like stuff that I talking to, I thought I understood what codependent mean, meaning like you're married or you have a child who is an addict, and that's what it meant. There's, It's much bigger than that. Way bigger than that. And kind of so, blew my mind. So we kind of learned quite a bit, but I think you found that codependents and addicts have a lot of things in common. 100%. Like, uh, yeah, everything she, you just got to listen. Everything she described of the way a codependent operates in their mind and just like with their decision process, same as an addict, whether you're high or not. So you're going to have to listen to step four, Jay Share, and then you can get into uh, our Ask the Addict. Boom. See you later. I am Jay, and I'm an addict. Hi, Jay. I am uh, grateful to be here. Um, grateful the room is filled up. Glad we have new faces. It seems like every week there's someone new that walks in the door, and that's a blessing. That's a blessing for me in my life. It's a blessing for everyone in this room because I've learned um, in the last few years of coming uh, that I'm only as enriched as other people's stories and experiences that I hear um, in these meetings, right? I mean, it's good to come and dump my own thoughts and feelings, but and that's important, I think, in the beginning for most of us. But um, what one of the things that helps uh, fill my my fill me up for the week is is the experiences that other people are going through, and 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 the Holy Ghost helps me and identify with where they're at and identify where I'm at and in comparison and, 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 and helps me realize that I'm not the only one going through this. You know, it's not in a judgmental sense. It's more in the sense of like, whoa, okay, I'm not the only one going through things. Because for some reason, this disease that we have, that I have, um, tells me in my mind that I'm the only one going through it. And I'm the only one that has problems. I'm the only one that has weaknesses. I'm the only one that has strengths even. You know, like it's a, it's a 
it's a tricky disease and it's a tricky thing that happens in the brain and, and the ego can become so big that <clears throat> you become what's called terminally unique. And I became an egomaniac with an inferiority complex really quickly in life. And, uh, and it, I uh, couldn't take criticism, but I also couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't, I had no direction. And this program, for those of you who are new, four and a half years ago when I came to it, uh, for the first time, I was telling the person who brought me, who's sitting to the right, Xander over here, and I was telling him, I was like, I'm not an addict. I don't have a problem. I just, you know, these, these pills that I'm taking are prescribed to me. You know, I, I, this, like, this, is, this is from a doctor. Like, what are you talking about? You know, I don't have an issue. Like, you know, you have an issue or so-and-so has an issue. But I just, if I could just get my quantity, you know, dosage down, then I, then I would be fine, right? And meanwhile, meanwhile, my wife had left me. Uh, she was pregnant with our second child, and uh, I lost my scholarship at BYU. I had uh, no money. I had nothing but debt. I was living on my mom's couch, and uh, I was consuming a thousand pills a month, you know, of opiates, muscle relaxers, Xanax, whatever I can get my hands on. And uh, but I didn't have a problem. I was right. I didn't have a problem. The problem had me, and I was the problem. And uh, I learned, though, by coming to these meetings that. There were other people that were going through similar things or had been through similar things and were now laughing. They were joyful, you know, as it says in the book, and they're having a good time. You may be that way. Like, this may be your first meeting or your second or third or whatever, and you see some of us, we're all laughing before the meeting. We're giving hugs. Well, if you're anything like me when I first walked in, I was like, what the? Why are you guys laughing? Why are you guys having a good time? Why are you happy to see each other? This is a horrible place. I shouldn't be here. You know what I mean? Like, why me, right? Once again, the ego. Egomaniac, and uh, but I quickly learned uh, after a few meetings in a row, going back to back for a few weeks, and I quickly learned that I had a problem. But I also learned as I started to do these steps with my sponsor, I got a sponsor. Number one, that's what you have to do. If you don't have one, you need to stay after and come up and talk, and I'll point you in the right direction, or go to someone who you hear has done these steps in this meeting when they share, and ask ask them to be your sponsor. That's simple. That's how you get one. And, um, but I got a sponsor and I quickly learned that drugs and alcohol weren't my problem. They were my solution. And, uh, sure they had became a problem in my life. They were one of the things, but when I took those away after those first few weeks of coming and I got sober for a couple months, I realized that's even into my, well into six months of sobriety because I hadn't worked the steps yet. I, I still had all these issues. I had these underlining feelings, um, that, that were, it says right here, your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs are actually the root of your addictive behaviors. So I took the drugs out, I took the alcohol out, all this other stuff, and yet I was still sick. I was completely sick, just as sick if not more sick because now I couldn't numb myself. Now I couldn't stop the, the brain. My brain was just fluttering these memories of my life and all the mistakes I had made and all the wrong I had done and all this stuff. And it was so much that I couldn't barely get out of bed. I mean, it was, it was paralyzing. It was paralyzing. It was more paralyzing than the hangovers I had from drugs. And if you've, if you've ever OD'd or come close to it, then you know what that's like. But I'm telling you, how sick I was when I was sober, before I had done these steps, that was the worst I've ever been. And uh, it was as the most shame I've ever felt um, because I'd committed to sobriety, but I hadn't fully committed to this program. So I was committed to stop using drugs and alcohol, mind-altering substance, but I hadn't committed fully to this program. And that was because I had let my fear overcome me and I let this anticipatory anxiety create what I was most scared of, which was 
progress. And I was, I was scared of surrendering. And what happened if I surrendered again to the Lord? Would he let me down? Would I let him down? You know, what, what, then what? Like, how do I deal with when life gets rocky again? I'm not going to have these drugs anymore. Like, I'm not going to have this. I'm not going to have that. You know, I didn't know if I was ready for that. But I heard a, 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 a girl um, who was a facilitator in, in the San Clemente meeting, which was the only meeting that was around in Southern Orange County for, for the church, at least in this half down here. And uh, she shared about how she did this step and how she did all the steps and how she got her life back and she got her son back. And uh, that's the first time I had hope. And I shared this last week, but that's the first time I like felt hope. And I think that was um, one of those moments where I was like, I, I want to do this. Like, I want to try to do this program like 100%. And I remember getting a sponsor shortly after. When I finally got to step four, I felt literally, if you've been in the ocean and you've been held under by a wave or multiple waves, or you've just been in the water and say you were swimming longer than you should have or whatever, and you were held under water, that feeling where you can't breathe, that's where I was at when I was sober because I hadn't done these steps and I felt like I just couldn't breathe. I had no outlet. And I felt like when I finally committed to doing this step and then completed it with my sponsor, it was like someone just grabbed me from the back of the shirt and just ripped me out of the ocean. And I had been held under for five or six waves in a row, you know? I was just held under and someone could just breathe me and I could just breathe. And I wasn't perfect, I knew that. I sure knew I had more steps to do. And I sure knew I had a lot more to do. But what I'm saying is I felt like there was, I could finally, as it says in here so perfectly, um, I can finally start, where is it? I don't know where it's at, but it basically says that you can, I can face people on equal footing. And I finally, for the first time, realized that I, because I was working with a sponsor, someone who had been through this, who had already been to the depths of hell and back out and was walking me along and telling me exactly what I needed to do. I didn't have to invent it on my own. I didn't have to figure out my own path. He just said, do this and it'll work. And I trusted him and, and it worked. And I realized that I could face people. I, I, like I said, I was, I was, I, my ego was so big that it was there in my faults, right? I was the only one making mistakes. And then when I was doing things right, it was all about me too. You know what I mean? So that's a bad place to be in. And I finally realized that I had strengths and weaknesses like everyone else. And if I just surrender those to Heavenly Father in step five after you do this step four of this inventory, then I can, I can overcome them now. It says you start to begin the transformation. You start to begin um, to be able to, ha uh, it says repentance and the power to a way to let go. I couldn't let go of these things, you know, and uh, this step was just, this step saved my life, just like every other step, and it's crucial, and don't, don't put it off. Don't even think twice about it. Don't, just like you can't think twice about step one, getting honest. If you don't get honest, this disease is going to kill you. And if your disease is not to drugs or alcohol and it's maybe to a behavior, guess what? It can still kill you and it can still take your life. And we all know that depression is linked to, to this disease and it can take you out that way. Or even if you were to not go that way, a spiritual death, which would be just as bad. I've been there too. And uh, I'm lucky to be alive. I'm grateful to have four and a half months or four years Four and a half years this month is what I was trying to say. Four and a half years, right? Four and a half months this month. I swear this is water in here. I swear. You might want to test it, though. But no, it's water. And I, I'm, I'm excited because me and Xander are still coming to meetings. We didn't get our four-year chip and then bounce. We didn't get our one-year chip and then bounce. We didn't get our two-year chip and bounce or our three-year chip and bounce. We're still here because we need it just as much as we did that first day that we went together, that he took me. He had been going a lot longer than me, but... The first time that I went. 
And uh, I'm grateful to be a part of this living program. And um, I hope that everyone tonight shares. I'll stay here. If people need to leave, they can leave. But I'll listen because I want to listen. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. someone very special on today yeah we do we're uh going remote today all the way to where kelly we're in atlanta georgia atlanta georgia nice and hot and humid out there right 93 but but the 80 percent humidity makes it feel a little warmer right exactly you sweat the minute you walk out the door totally (laughs) i was just in texas last week and it was probably not as hot as there but it was pretty hot yeah probably similar pretty similar yeah but beautiful though, right? Oh yeah, lots of green, lots of trees. It's gorgeous out here. So Kelly, uh, if any of you have been to our website, you've noticed that it actually looks like a website now. You can thank Kelly yeah. for that. She, uh, when we early started, Kelly was a listener and said, "Hey, your website's horrible." Uh, unquote. <laughs> I don't know if she said those exact words, and I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. We don't know. I'm, I'm surprised I even got it up." Yeah. And Brad just went to some website and learned how to do it. <laughs> Everything we're doing here, uh, we're we are learning it. Should I say we, Jay? No, I say you. Okay. I just show up for the mic. Um, just kidding. <laughs> and, but it looks beautiful now, and we can thank Kelly, and we'll give her some plugs at the end because she does do this, right? On uh, she builds websites for people. Yes. Yeah. Besides that, you actually have another website that I refer a lot of people to, which is called what? Codependentmormon.com. What the heck does that mean? Um, so codependent, uh, in the short term, it means I'm so busy trying to take care of you that I forget to take care of me. Um, and, um, I've broken it up. Um, there are two different kinds of codependents. The first is uh, the original codependent and the second is the inherited codependent and an original codependent. That would be somebody who deals directly with an addict or an alcoholic who they aren't getting their needs met. And in, in such frustration and rage, they stop caring for their family and basically shut down emotionally. Um, that would be my grandmother. Um, I am an inherited codependent. Codependent. I inherited it from my mother who is extremely codependent. She inherited it from her, from her mother. So I never asked to be codependent. I don't have addicts directly living with me, but all the behaviors and all the norms, I kind of followed along with me. Um, a great idea of what, an, what a codependent looks like is we're mad all the time. Um, you aren't doing what I want and I need you to do exactly what I want. And if you don't, I'm going to belittle you, humiliate you, withhold affection. I'm going to do whatever I can to make you do what I want you to do. Um, there's not a lot of intimacy. There's not a lot of love, affection. And this is all just within your home. Um, codependents learn from really early age. You pretend everything is normal. So when you get outside of the home, it's a big, white, beautiful, lovely home and everything's great. But inside the home, it's totally caustic and it's awful. Um, My son, who's serving a mission, um, I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery a year. I got my year chip last week. It's kind of awesome to be in recovery. Um, Yeah, it's awesome. 
Um, but my son, who's been on, he's on a mission in Salt Lake and he's been gone two years. And so he left the prime of codependency. I mean, he, to me, he was nothing but a loser in my eyes. He wasn't doing exactly what I wanted. So he was just worthless and I didn't support him or help him or anything. I was just a horrible person. And, um, so the other day, um, I said, I said to him, I said, we don't yell anymore at home. And he said, what do you mean? I'm like, we don't yell anymore. And he's like, seriously? I'm like, no, we don't yell about anything. And he's like, wait, what? And I had like 40 minute conversation and he kept saying, you're serious. You don't get mad anymore. I'm like, why would I get mad? Who am I upset with? Who am I angry with? I'm, I'm not mad or angry or upset. I'm calm and peaceful. And he's like, wait, you're what? And it was like, it was this amazing conversation because he has not seen the side of me at all. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see. It's like a huge weight got lifted off my shoulder a year ago. And, um, and it, I'm at peace and I, I can sit still and not have to do a million things. And I'm not trying to help everybody else. I remember at one time, my kids, I used to bake cookies all the time and I bake cookies for everybody else, but never for my kids. And my daughter asked me one day, she's like, why don't we get cookies? And I looked at her, I'm like, why do you deserve cookies? Oh, wow, that's intense. I've never heard. So, oh. okay. So the way you're saying all this, like I've never heard, and Brad, I'm sure you've never, I've never heard codependency described as the way you described it in the beginning. Well, what was interesting is you just, every word you said was as if you were an addict, like whether you're yep. pills or pornography or like whatever yep. it is, and you just replace that with codependency and you yep. have a sobriety date and you work through the steps. Yep. And a complete transformation. Because yeah, what I thought codependent, like, the way I've always heard was is more like a spouse of an addict, you know, like where you're enabling. That's the other kind. That's, that's the, the original. Kind. Yeah. Well, I didn't know there that's was two. That's the original. So, yeah, that's, yeah. So, so my children are inherited. My children have my codependent norms. So my kids could never communicate without yelling and screaming and hollering. They never supported each other. They were never there for each other. Um, one of my daughters said, I was my biggest fan because you were never there for me. So 30 days into my sobriety, and literally, it's a drug. It's a drug to go out and help people because I get a rush, because codependents don't feel. I never had anybody say that they loved me or that I was pretty or that I was good. You know, straight A student, never screwed up, always did what I was supposed to do, but I was never good enough. And my parents never gave me any positive reinforcement. And so I never gave my kids any positive reinforcements. The norms just sort of trickled in. And, um, um, it's just one of those things in life. You just think 30 days into my, my, my sobriety, my, my recovery, I realized what a crappy mom I was and how I wasn't there for my kids and how I wasn't at all. And how my husband had picked up all the pieces that I had just shattered along the way. And, and we've been married 20, 24 years, it'll be 25 years in February. And he basically had to live with this I don't, it's like a drug. I mean, I got highs from helping other people and the more stuff I could do to help more people. And, and I didn't know how to set boundaries or how to say no. And so, um, the inherited codependency is, is a lot worse than the original because the original has a focus, so to speak. You could focus on the alcoholic and go, you're in the walls of your home or whatever. Yep. Yep. And mine were just norms that were inherited, passed on down that I had no idea I was even doing. And, it wasn't until I realized that I was codependent that all of it changed. Happen? How did that happen? Like when did when did you? So like that was last June. Uh, my husband and I were separated. He was living somewhere else. We were filing for a divorce. I was done. I hated him. He was evil. He was the worst person I've ever met. Codependents put their thinking on other people. So if we're horrible, you're horrible. If we're bad, you're bad. We 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 cast project. our feelings on other people. We project it. Yeah. 
And so, um, I, I, I just keep praying and I'm praying. I'm like, all right, heavenly father, what do I need to do? And, and, and the spirit says, you need to let your husband go. And I'm like, okay, he doesn't live with me. I'm filing for divorce. What does this mean? And the spirit's like, you need to let your husband go. And I thought, okay, whatever, I will do this. And I went to the temple and I'm, I'm in the temple and I'm in the celestial room. And I'm like, all right, heavenly father, what do I need to do? And like, I got slapped in the face. Heavenly father's like, I'm not telling you. Anything. I told you to do let your husband go. And I walked out of the temple and I was so frustrated because I was like, what does this mean? And I got down on my knees that night and I said, Heavenly Father, whatever that means, do it. Whatever it means. And I know now that that's called detaching. So Heavenly Father detached me from trying to control my husband and make him do everything that I thought he should be doing. So I detached from my husband. Even though you weren't there together and you were on the way to divorce, you were still trying to control. Still, yeah, yeah could be a better guy. He could be a better person. He could be, he could be so much more. And, and I never, it was, it was awful. I was an awful person. And, um, so the next day I'm sitting there at work and I'm like, all right, heavenly father, what now? And clear as day, Google codependent relationships. I'm like, okay, Google. And I Googled it. And, um, it was a list for characteristics of a codependent. And I printed out this sheet and I'm highlighting like 95% of all the characteristics of a codependent. I had 95% of the sheet, nine page, 95% including the very last ones, which were suicidal. Um, I wasn't eating or taking care of myself, um, lethargic, depression, everything except substance abuse, which I think is because I had so much substance abuse in my family. I didn't want anything to do with that. Um, and it was like this aha moment. It's like, I understand what I have. And from, yeah, step one, literally it was like, and I had hit rock bottom and and I emailed my husband and I was like, look at this. I, I found the answer to what I am. And, he was, you know, really, um, he'd been burned so many, he was never good enough. So codependents never praise anybody unless you're an outsider, then you're amazing. And you're wonderful. Like I was a teacher. I was like everybody's favorite teacher. Cause I loved everybody, but my kids went to school with me and they're like, you never act that way at home. How come you're never that nice well, at home? <laughs> just like that, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was like, why would I be nice at home? Why would I be nice to you? Oh, wow. You're my family. This is how I am. I mean, and that that's what I was raised with. I mean, I was raised with a mom. I remember when she stopped hugging me. So you, I remember the clothing inherited, I was wearing. You're thinking more probably uh, nurture versus nature, right? Yep. Yep. So that's exactly. what you saw. And that's kind of what, I mean, when we're all parents and brothers, like we're trying to survive and we, we learn how to do it In by different observation, by different environment. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom was, was a total absent parent. She was, she was not there. She was an alcoholic, did you say? No, she was, um, she was raised by alcoholics, had alcoholic husbands. So she was knee deep in her own crazy. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I bet there's some listening to this and, um, you know, you're, uh, there are, I'll say mean well, people. Yeah. They're like, that's not me. And they're like, oh, that's, that may be me. Um, yeah. Well, to be honest. We had a lot of people that I think did that on the, uh, the one with, uh, compulsive eating. Yeah. Well, when you're describing like all these traits to me, it's like, that's what happens. A lot of addicts, when they get sober, like that's how they are. They become that oh. person where, uh, and they, we call it a dry drunk or whatever, but really yep. they describe all these things of they still have control, right? Like I always talk about how in the meetings, like I can be as sick as I was using like sober. If I don't have the tools of recovery, if I'm not working the principles and the steps in my life, I can be controlling or egotistical you know, mean, I can give, give, give to people that aren't my family, but then come home and then I don't have time for them because I express yep. all that, you know, out. 
That's what it is. Yeah. That's what yeah, dry. Was. You were a dry drunk. Yeah. And, and trust is a huge issue. I never learned to trust anybody growing up. I didn't have anybody that ever had my back. You know, I had an alcoholic stepfather who used to beat the crap out of me. I had a mom who just, just threw her hands up and said, I'm done. And my brother was, was a drug addict. So I had nobody. And so I never learned to trust. So it's really funny. One of the steps of CODA, uh, Codependence Anonymous, is that you will um, stop controlling once you realize how to trust people who are trustworthy. And so many women that I run into, I gave a talk in church on Sunday and it was on self-reliance and I opened up with, you know, I'm in recovery for this and, and this is what codependency is. And, and after the meeting, two women who I'd never met before came up to me and they were both visitors from Utah who just happened to be stopping by because we're by the temple. And one of them said, you know, I just got diagnosed as, as a codependent. What do I do next? And the other woman was like, my son killed himself two months ago, and you just described how I've lived my life. And she had never even heard of codependency before. And she's like, okay, what do I do next? And I was like, well, acknowledging is, 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 is first. And the steps for CODA are almost exactly like the steps for anything else, except for step four. And just clarify, CODA. So, Codependence so, Anonymous. Uh, people, if they listen to us before, you know, you know, ARP is 12 steps within the church. Yep. There's AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, OA, Overeaters Anonymous. There's CODA, which is Codependence, Codependence Anonymous. Anonymous. And then yep. there's 12 steps, 12 meetings, steps. Uh, the whole, meetings. The whole yep. thing, yeah. So you can find this on your website, which is codependent, codependentmormon.com, or you can go to CODA, C-O-D-A dot org. Yes. And you can find the same thing. You get a sponsor, worth the steps, exactly. same way. Yep, I'm actually sponsoring a couple people. Um, which is really cool. But the um, step four is a little different. Step four is where you basically list all the things that you've done wrong. In CODA, you get to list all the crap that was done to you. Okay. So being abused and having um, sexually, physically, mentally abused, I get, to, I get to write all that crap down and do a history of my family and all the people that had hurt me and all the people that had done things to me so that I didn't have to identify as a victim anymore. It wasn't poor me, look at my crappy life. It's like, this happened to me, but it's not who I am anymore. And that, that changed me a lot to be able to not have to, to be that person anymore. The person who came from a, an alcoholic, you know, parents and abusive home. And, you know, I didn't have to be that person anymore. I got to be the person I am today and every day I'm, I'm, and it's kind of nice to not have to play that pity party. And I know that with other programs, you know, step four is, you know, the things that you've done wrong to other people, and that's great, but most codependents have had really crappy upbringing with really crappy parents, and they need a way to, to let that go. And that's why I liked CODA so much. Um, I went to the ARP meetings. I love the ARP meetings, but codependents have a really strong foundation of the gospel. Those are there in the gospel, and we love the gospel because it's outside of the home. So anything outside of the home, we excel at. But it's the inside of the home and the relationships with inside of the home that are caustic and empty how, how much uh, are there so you, you mentioned there's two types of codependence um i've already forgot the two types you're the second type yeah i'm inherited original and inherited original so the original are uh ones where i think we probably have more interaction with jay mm -hmm. which yep. are the spouses of yes. someone who is an addict and yep. these are the same 12 steps for them yes correct and so in yep. your coda meetings uh you have both Probably exactly. Type of people. Okay. And how I have a question. So, have you read because um, these steps? Have you read the spouse manual for ARP yeah. yet? Have um, I haven't. Okay. I haven't. I should. So, I when I first went, I really wanted to go to the spouse meeting for ARP because I'd never asked for codependency. I mean, I I 
once I realized what I was, that changed me. And so when I went to the ARP meetings, they were like, no, you're codependent. You need to go over here because it's an addiction. And I'm like, okay, I understand that, but but I am suffering because of what's been done to me. And that was still in victim mode there. So, you know, that's They, that's, told, that's yeah, they told you you shouldn't come to this general ARP meeting. You need to go to this other one? Yep. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, we, we accept, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think we do it a little different in South Orange County than a lot of the places. Maybe Utah, I think, is pretty similar, too. Like, she's in Georgia. She's in Georgia, I know. So, uh, but I'd say Utah's a lot like California from what I hear. The general meetings, like, we want everyone to come, like, spouse or not, right? Like, addict, addict, spouse, yep. and addict. But then also what's happening, ever since uh, the church, uh, the lady wrote the manual for spouses, um, or like, you know, like not just spouses, like you could be a, a parent, I guess. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like ha- just have a loved one who's an addict. They, they don't classify it as yes. a codependent, but that's, uh, be interesting to match up CODA's steps with the, yeah, you should support. definitely look at yeah. it and see what you think, because obviously you're, you're, you know, knee deep in, in this, which is great and see, see, you know, see what, uh, your thoughts are and opinions and, and maybe helping those, those go, go, yeah. by going to those meetings and because yeah. it's just like when, um, like when we have these men only pornography ones, it's more like an essay meeting, right? Like a sex uh, addiction, you know, anonymous meeting. And they call them passage, P A S G. Okay, so but like when the guys that go from outside meetings from the church then come into the church's ARP, they can bring a lot of like good stuff to it. So exactly. you know, that's what I'm thinking with you is like you have all this these resources on Coda.org and your own website and all this stuff to go and to be able to help some of these women. Or parents, or fathers, or husbands. It could go both ways, right? Well, generally, this this is uh, fortunately most members have been sheltered, and unfortunately, they've been sheltered from addiction and the twelve steps. Yes. Um, yep. But we don't know a lot, and we kind of pretend like we do. Um, and so, you know, I got this missionary tag. I don't, but some people go show up. They're got the missionary tag, and then it's set apart as a group leader. And all they have is this manual, and they don't have any real experience. They have the spirit, but they just don't have the experience. And and I would challenge you, like, go if they're, I mean, the spousal meetings here are pretty new. Yeah, they're and, brand new. And, and, and new meetings are kind of fragile because you don't have a lot of people with recovery. Like, a year of what you have is so valuable to step so in there valuable. and and still work the 12 steps. But this, I love on your site, get a sponsor. Like, that's your, yeah. it's right down there. Get a sponsor. And I think a lot of these other meetings, they don't do that. They're like, well, we'll just come here and talk about it. Yeah. And you can't, you need, you know, you know, codependency, it's, it's an actual crazy. It's an actual crazy in your brain because you get so frustrated and so angry and so upset it creeps in. And, um, I, I remember it was so funny. My daughter who's in recovery, um, you have these moments and, and she wasn't quite there yet. She, she, we, we'd go, we'd have meetings, but she wasn't quite there yet for wanting to re- to get into recovery. And I picked her up from school and she gets in the car and she's so mad. She starts yelling at me, you piece of garbage. I hate you. You're just evil. And and she's just yelling. And I, I stopped the car. I'm like, get out of my car. Get out of my car now. And I kicked her out of the car and she had to walk a half a mile home. And um, she got home and she slammed her bedroom door and she just, she was in there screaming and hollering. And then it got really, really quiet. And um, she walked out of her room and she was crying and she said, what was that? And I was like, that's how you always used to act. That is codependent crazy. That is when all the frustration and all the anger bubbles up and it just explodes. And from that day forward, she has been actively in her own recovery, working the 12 steps, trying to recover. And she's 15, but she sees the value in not having. We actually have them at our home. You do. We actually organize our own. Are you like a facilitator for that? I am. Yes. How many people come to those? 
Um, we just started about a month and a half ago, so we opened it up to everybody at church on Sunday. So we'll see what happens. So this is it's always interesting. A, a, so you kind of you're using Coda's twelve steps, and yes. you're kind of promoting it within the church. Yes. Okay. Wow, I'd highly because a lot of people the, do the spousal support. It's online now. It's okay. Jay met the lady. On, on uh, phone. Like a couple years ago, yeah, when she wrote ago. it, and she was she told you a couple years ago. She's like, eventually it, the church will fully like it'll be sponsored by the church and have a manual and everything. And now they finally got their website done. Yeah. So I'm sure there'll eventually be a manual, just like our ARP manual. But go to arp.ls.org and there's two links. One is the general ARP booklet, and then the other one is for the spousal support. Um, so yeah. maybe we can follow up with you later and and see how how those mirror up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome because most codependents don't realize it. Until their life has become completely well, unmanageable. It, I would imagine it's hard. You don't want to say you're crazy because you've got craziness all around you. So it's way easier to point out all the other crazy people instead of looking in the mirror. Um, exactly. Totally. And well, I think there's a lot of similarities. I mean, like you're saying, like with addicts too. I mean, a lot of us, a lot of real alcoholics and addicts, like had horrible upbringings or had really bad things done to us when we were young. So, you know, it, it becomes a way of coping. And rather than you guys coping with drugs and alcohol... Uh, you, you cope with this, just the behavior. So it's like I said, I think it's all the same as far as that's why the 12 steps can interchange yep. to all these things like NASA. Like it, they're so universal because it's really, it's the gospel, right? Like it's like, this is how we detach ourselves from our ego and we connect into the spirit. Like, and we connect into something that's bigger than us or, you know, the heavenly father's plan. And we need these 12 steps that are so like simple and laid out that they're they're so perfect and simple that then they can be, you know, I think we use it all these different, you know, these different, you know, I don't know, uh, diagnoses almost like or whatever, but it's all the same. Like they all, re- you know, it's like, is your life becoming manageable? Like if it has, they can admit yeah. it. Then, okay, so exactly. you believe that it won't be that, you know, there's a power greater than you that can do that. Okay, now trust him. And then, you know, now make an inventory of your life. You know, it's like, it's perfect because it's like, and that's why we, we say like, this can be you. And it says even in the manual, it's yeah. like. Anyone can benefit from this manual. Exactly. Anyone. Like these 12 steps are just so universal. And so Brad's going to pull up right now because he read this thing. Did you already talk about that? Or is that I, uh, no, I, uh, so I have uh, something I want to read to you that was sent. So Brad's always on our fa- on Facebook on this uh, LD. What's this page? I don't want to say it because that way. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, mission, mission by name. So let's right. hypothetically, let's say this is a person who wrote this. Yeah. Uh, Disclaimer. My husband is a heroin crack alcoholic of 25 years. Over the past few months, the stress of his drug use, even though it's reduced, the deceit, the worry, the financial implications has taken a toll on both of us. The past three weeks has been especially hard. He was involved in a drug deal that went wrong and was stabbed right through his thigh. He then started methadone withdrawals. 30 MLS, what's that? 30, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And is now taking 60 milligrams Suboxone a day. I don't think you know what that means. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. Um, I don't think either of us are well prepared for the psychological effects of methadone withdrawal. I actually reported him missing when he didn't make contact for two days. He said he was soul searching. He came back saying he knew that he needed to do and was going to make the changes necessary. Since then, though, he hasn't really given me the time of day. He's cold, distant, and still using. He's gone AWOL again today. We were meant to have a date today. But he spent our last uh, 20 bucks last night. He wants to get clean, but he's not willing to go to addiction recovery groups. He says he wants to do it his way. I feel I'm patient and understanding. I obviously can't fully understand what it's like to live with his demons every day. It breaks my heart when I think that he go, what he goes through. 
and what he's been through in his childhood, which I think mainly contributed to his drug use. There are times when I'm angry and I lose my temper, but in general, I'm doing everything I can. I find it hard stick, striking a balance between being loving and forgiving wife and not letting his behavior ruin my life. Some of my family keep saying that I deserve better, but uh, as long as my husband wants to keep trying, then so will I. I, could, I couldn't just give up on him. Well, to me, like when you first read that, so uh, obviously, of course, it, he, he referred her to your website, but um, because obviously, you know, I mean, he said she, she's still using, but you're going to try. Well, you're you're going to try with a fail, unfortunately. And if, yes. as long as an addict's still using and you're, you're sitting there trying to try, it's a one-sided street. And so it's not going to work. It's just the way it is. I read that and I'm immediately like, that sounds, sounds like, like codependency. codependency. Yeah. I referred her to yeah. your website, but what would be your advice to this lady or someone else in um. a similar situation? So um, when you're in recovery from codependency, just 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 the thought process. Um, I have a daughter who isn't in recovery for codependency and she's very codependent and she always plays the victim. Um, we tend to share a lot. We share all the bad with everybody in the family and we get everybody against that particular person who is the person we're attached to or the person we're trying to control. So this woman, she talks a lot about how her family doesn't like him or doesn't want to stay. that's because she's sharing all the bad she is sharing all the bad she doesn't know how to set boundaries she doesn't know how to say no so she's in, she's enabling her husband totally. to do, do things to her because she's a victim oh poor me my husband's an, an addict you know when you get in recovery for codependency you don't care what people do I'm living my life. I'm taking care of myself. If you have a bad day, it's your bad day. Oh, if, oh. if if you do something stupid, you've done something stupid. It doesn't ruin my life. It doesn't doesn't change how I, how I feel as a person. I don't need your validation to be a good person. Oh, and I see oh. her playing the victim role where she is, oh, poor me. And until she gets out of that and starts taking care of herself, then whatever choices her husband makes are his. She's not linked to them anymore. And if he's going to bottom out into the barrel of wherever he's going. He does it without pulling her down and she still keeps her dignity. If she wants to keep trying, she's, she's not being realistic with who she, the needs that she needs to have met. You need to be loved and cared for and in a relationship where there's trust. And I don't see that at all with her husband. She, she doesn't have trust. She doesn't trust him at all. Um, she doesn't sound like she has love or care. And so she's, in this cycle, that's just going to make her mad. And then when he comes home and he actually tries, she's going to not believe him and she's going to set him up to fail. I remember when I was in recovery, like my family kept waiting for me to relapse. They kept waiting for me to yell and scream and holler. They kept waiting for me to get mad. They would purposely do things to make me really, really mad just to see how I would react. It's like they didn't believe that I was finally the changed. Was real. <laughs> yeah, that recovery was real. And so that if you're a codependent, you're never going to believe that they are truly recovering or getting help or doing anything. You will question everything. I can guarantee she's going through his phone and looking up his contacts because she doesn't trust him. She might even get in the car and follow him around because she doesn't trust him. Um, she's doing all these things. So instead of taking her care of herself, she's taking care of him. Yeah. And she needs to detach, let go, and start taking care and loving herself. That's what Lexi did for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, a, lot, a lot of people that have that got recovery themselves, Mitch, and you talked about your husband left you, and I yeah. was like, there was a there was a line that was drawn in the sand, yep. and then recovery on their own part, their own side of the street, 
started taking place. Yeah, and it usually then motivates the the addict to go, whoa, the phenomenon that you shared you shared with me from some meeting you had at the church where yeah, it's like rich in that. Yeah, the, the walking up the yeah, cliff. Yeah, like walking up the cliff. Sure, so that, I had, that's uh, really good. There's a uh, local guy that's uh, been in recovery uh, treatment for a long time, and he who works on intervention. And so he meets question, addicts, right? Meets, that are meets, like goes in the, to the family home and like tries to get him in the treatment, basically the intervention, basically selling him on recovery, right? And one of the questions that we asked, and we were, and actually with uh, a whole bishop brick, like uh, basically a ward council, and this guy, and because this ward had a lot of uh, folks that were struggling with addiction, and it was a new bishop, he didn't know how to deal with it, so he had me there and. And he had some professional non-members there. And and one of the things that stood out is this guy talked about codependency. And he's like, you know why so many children of addicts become addicts themselves? And he said, the reason why is you have two people in a household. One's the addict, one's the codependent. They're both kind of crazy. But mm-hmm. one of them's crazy all the time. When the other one gets high, they're actually pretty cool sometimes. Uh-huh. Right, like they can they can actually medicate and they're actually fun and outgoing and then they crash and burn or they bail, where the spouse, the codependent, is crazy a hundred percent of the time. Yep. So you have these kids go, I'd rather be like the half crazy dad or my half crazy mom instead of the hundred percent crazy mom or dad. And so that's why that vicious cycle repeats. And I didn't, it never made sense to me before until then. And they said, you know, that addict's gonna walk off the cliff. And I'm picturing he, he got up and walked. And he's like, this guy addict's going to walk off the cliff and he's going to die. Eventually he's going to die. And that yeah. codependent is usually chasing behind him like, oh, come back here. Come back here. Oh, stop. Hey, you know, they're following them right off the cliff. And he's like, the yeah. only time they get recovery is when that codependent turns around and walks the other way. And to stops get, calling their name. Stops yep. calling their name and gets recovery themselves. Yep. He's like, yep. that person may still walk off the cliff and die, the addict. But there's a better chance that that person's going to actually turn around and go, hey, where are you going? And then walk away from that cliff. Exactly. And that was well, a super strong yeah. visual to me. And that's how it worked with me, too. It's like my, my wife, like I've said a hundred times, she had to leave me in order for me to go, oh, wait a minute. Like, she's not going to just stick around. Like, someone's not going to take the verbal abuse and the chaos anymore. And But at the time, if you if, when we've had her on, she talks about how she was so miserable and she was in so much chaos and she was trying to control and trying to – is he taking pills? You know, like you said, all this mistrust and whatnot, which rightfully so, I caused havoc in our lives. But separation, uh, that's what allowed her to then get herself to a point where she was then willing to, once we got back together, when we went to these meetings, go right away after the very first meeting, go, oh, yeah, like this is for me too. Like I, I need help. And there's other guys that are, and then hearing other people share too is like, okay, he's not the only one. So it's not an excuse. Like, you know, because it was always like, if you loved us, you'd get sober type thing. You loved our family, you get sober. And it's like, wait a minute, there's, you know, come to find out there's thousands and thousands, hundreds of people that are that are suffering too, and spouses as well. And anyways, and then that started her own recovery, and she's doing the steps for herself and helped the spouse meeting get started and stuff like that. So it's great. But I love yeah, that. My vi- in my vision, um, the thought that I had with, with Jared was that he was swimming, and I was under the water, and I was holding on to him. So I'm already drowning and I'm pulling him down with me. Yep. And it wasn't yeah. until I let go of him and I could actually surface and we could both breathe. Totally. So as <laughs> I was totally pulling him down and um and the and the 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 now my husband he 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 made some really bad choices in his life as well, but a lot of that, you know, that's him, but to see the man that he's become when I'm not controlling him and to see like the artwork that my daughter has done um I never supported her art career and she's fantastic. She's 
spending three weeks in South Korea. I just let her go. The old me would never have let her leave the country because I have to know where she's. And I'm like, she's in Korea. She texts me once a day and, and I'm, yeah, I'm not worried. South Korea, not North Korea. South Korea. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. South Korea, and um, my other one, um, my 15 my year old listening to her sing and her music. I'm like, I never supported my children. And um, to say to my daughter, who's not, who's, who's kind of fighting recovery. I'm like, I want to support you. What is your passion? And she's like, I don't have a passion. That's well, because trying to figure out herself. But one thing I liked to what you said is it's amazing. This is what I think spouses that are listening, if we have any that are listening right now. Um, the best thing I think you just said was my husband, what, you, he wasn't necessarily an addict, but say he was. It's, you said it's amazing to see who he's become now that I'm not trying to control him. See, that's yep. huge. Like I was always lying to my wife because she was always asking me a million questions. The minute she stopped asking me a million questions, I, it then allowed the spirit in myself to self-regulate myself, right? And to, to, to be my own conscience rather than having someone else be my conscience, you know? Because when exactly. if someone's going to accuse you of doing something, you might as well do it, right? That's what I always thought. I was like, hey, if I'm going to get accused every time I come home being high, might as well be high, right? Like, my, <laughs> might as well, if I'm going to get treated that way anyways, well, then shoot, I might as well self-medicate or whatever the situation is. But what so. you're saying is done, but there also was a boundaries there too. Like, your well, wife yeah, wouldn't well that, have been fine with you coming home high. For sure, but what I'm saying is, is she was always trying to control me being high, like sober or not, like... Do you have pills? Searching for pills. But yep. now we live in life. She doesn't ask me anything. She doesn't ask me yep. where I was. She doesn't ask me where I am. I mean, besides the regular banter that goes on between <laughs> a spouse, but like <laughs> nothing like, you know, you know, with the iPhones now, she could, you know, you can have find my friends. She could be checking 24 seven, you know, and uh, and back when I was using, I was never telling the truth. So and it's just crazy. But like, I don't feel the need to lie. And if I do have a situation where like, something I want to talk about, I can bring it to her now when I'm ready. And then comfortable it's just I'm comfortable. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm more comfortable to bring it to her or to other people in my life, like authority figures or whatever with work. And um, it's just, it's so true. Like, I mean, the adversary's plan is the control. God's plan is to let me teach you correct principles and let you govern yourself, you know? Exactly. So I like and to that. be able to trust somebody enough to, to go to them and say, totally. I mean, I have, I, have, I have wonderful conversations with my children now. I feel like I'm becoming their friend. I mean, I'm their mom and that's all true, but I mean, I, they trust me and it's amazing to have trust because I, I never knew what that felt like and, it, yeah. and, and, and to love like codependents think everything's okay. We live in a world where it's just okay. We, I always like to say it's like, it's like you're in a, a flooded stream and occasionally you'll see like a, a, a stick float by that would be our happiness. It floats by quickly and it's fleeting and then it's gone and we're stuck in this flooded river again. We, we, we rarely have joy or happiness. Everything is just okay. And I love that my, my daughter in recovery said, um, before I found out I was codependent, I always prayed that everything would be okay. And now I pray that everything will be wonderful because I realize I deserve more than just okay. Hmm. And okay is, is, is it's called the plan of happiness, not the plan of okayness. Yeah. You're not just yeah. supposed to float by in this numb sort of unfeeling way you're, you're supposed to feel love and, and no love and totally god doesn't want to just like squeak by that was the one thing that i realized too in the beginning of recovery that um that some like there's a difference between being sober there's a difference between recovery and sober is just not doing drugs right like sober is not drinking yeah. sober is not activating porn or food or whatever your thing is but to be in recovery is to be like trying it doesn't mean every day you wake up happy the other day i woke up and i was like fully in my victim mentality pissed off like whatever i was just argumentative with people i yelled at my doctor's office because i was late and they didn't see me like you know what i mean i was just in that state of mind but, but recovery 
is then going to a meeting that night. Is that the day you pulled, you dropped out of that text thread on surfing where you said none of us are surfers? Oh yeah, is that was, the same day. Yeah, probably the same day. But I was just, I was joking on that one. But, but it's kind of serious. But so, so uh, you know, like in that mode. But like in recovery, then you go to a meeting and you hear like, okay, like uh, what I'm saying is, is not. I used to, right? Uh, or if you're a codependent, you would continue in that to your next day, to the next yep. day, because you were justified, right? Because you, you self. Because then the brain's so tricky. It then get it serves up memories that that helps you make your case to justify your behavior. Instead, recovery is, okay, that happened. Now I've had some time removed from that situation or from that event, and I can go, okay, I was an a-hole there. Like, I need to apologize to yep. this person, or yep. that wasn't okay. Like, just because that happened, guess what? That's life. You're, no, you're nothing special. The only thing different between what you guys are describing is you took uh, drugs. Yeah. Um, but the behavior the behavior is the, the same. Me- the thought the same. process and behavior. That's is the why I'm saying it's so universal. That's because uh, it's human nature. Like I'm starting to realize. Like I don't know if there's really addicts and non-addicts anymore. I think that <laughs> this is like you know eventually like God's gonna be like okay, this is cute that you guys like made all these separate things. But this is the twelve steps. To, like God, like this is twelve steps to happiness. And this you're either happy or you're not. So it's like. You know, either you're like, you know, and I, yeah. anyways, but God, I'll say that's cute. it's it's cute <laughs> that you guys like separate yourself because you drank or because you did drugs. And I get how that had to start. Really, that's like our human nature to like create like, you know, like little tribes groups. and little groups. But yeah. anyways, we're all the same is what I'm saying. And it's cool to hear you. You know, I'm sure there's someone listening right now. I guarantee there's someone listening who's trying to figure out, man, I've been around addiction my whole life. I'm not an addict myself, but I feel nuts. And hopefully, yeah. you know, it's their fault. So again, you can go to your wisdom. website, which is codependentmormon.com, and you have a bunch of links on there for that. I want to ask a question on your website. You say, I'd like to begin by saying the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints did not make me a codependent. Why, so, why did you feel that was so, important to put on there? And you so said, when, I started, when, when I started when when I started oh when I started looking up codependency, I, I I found so many people who said the Mormon church made me codependent. And and I found lots and lots of sites where, where people were just, you know, excommunicated, no longer members, bitter against the church, saying how the church had made them codependent. And I remember thinking that is the funniest thing I've ever heard because that's, I don't even know that that's possible. Um, Sounds like they're just one of the person, one of the entities they're blaming. Exactly, exactly. I'm a victim. It must be the church. And so I wanted to to clarify when I started. So I was, um, it was really funny. I, I just found out about codependency and I flew to Utah to visit with my in-laws. And it was so funny. I walked in the room and my in-laws visibly tensed. Like you could see their whole body language just just tense because they didn't know what kind of mood I was going to be in. Yeah. Was I going to be happy, sad, yelling? I mean, you could just see them tense. And it was just it was it was it was crazy. I mean, I as you know, a week into recovery, I'm watching these people going. Oh, I didn't realize I did that to them, you know, and then um, I'm, I was downstairs in the in their in their house and I was like, all right, Heavenly Father, what do you want me to do? I, I want people to know that I'm Mormon. I want people to know that that this happens to Mormon people, <laughs> that that the church didn't cause this. And I, I, you know, I joined the church when I was 18 and I loved it from the minute I joined it. And it's it. The funny thing was, um, quick story. Um, when I was 16, I, I found the missionaries, two cute boys in business suits are walking down the street and I, um, I asked them if they wanted to get in my car. And at that point, I had eight girls in the car. And I'm like, you can sit on her laps. Come on, come on. Come on. <laughs> and um, 
And they gave me this card. They said, no, thanks. And they gave me this card that says, you're too cute to smoke from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No and I remember thinking, yeah, and I remember thinking, I don't smoke, what, whatever. And, um, and I remember I went to church and for the first time and someone greeted me in the parking lot. And at that time I had a mohawk and a nose ring. I was a bit weird. And um, kind of so it kind of, made me, kind of made me smile, right? And I'm like, how do they know that I'm new? <laughs> and um, and I, I walked through the front door. And have you ever been in those grocery stores where the air blows down on you to keep totally. the hot air? So when I opened the door, the spirit hit me that strong. And I knew, like, this is safe. And I went home and um, I told my mom, I'm like, I found this church. This church is awesome. And I was happy. And in a codependent home, there is no happiness. So, of course, I must be on drugs. And um, my mom told me that if I went back to that church, she would kick me out of the house. And so I'd go to church and I'd come home and I wouldn't have a place to live. And I found myself having to do stuff that I didn't want to do to have places to live so I could go to church. And that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so I um, I uh, decided that I'd put church on hold. Um, when I was 18, I applied to BYU. Um, I didn't have a complete application. I applied late. I never wrote an essay and I got in and I went off to Utah and um and I got baptized when I was out in Utah. And that was that was amazing to me that that the church saved me from the insanity that was my home. So the fact that anybody could say that the church would do that, I was like, OK, first of all, not not true. It's not even remotely the church. It's You're just playing. You're, you're just a victim and you're just trying to blame somebody for your own misery. You know, get over it and get in recovery. You know, figure out that that there's joy in this journey. Because I, Jade, do you have this experience? I've I've known quite a few people that family members may become addicts or discover they're addicts, and then everyone leaves the church. And yeah, I'm right. Like, are they what? What was that purpose for? Like, why are? I don't understand that part of equation, but that kind of makes sense. Is they're blaming everything for the situation, and the church is a major part of your life, and so if I can blame that, then that's yeah. that's a boy. That's interesting. Yeah, I read a book in the beginning of recovery. It's called uh, The Road Less Traveled by Dr. Scott Peck. And he talks about, I think it's one of the greatest books ever when it comes to like discovering how to overcome the programming you were given from your environment growing up and your DNA, like, you know, so your traits from your parents as well as the home you were raised in with your parents or whoever you were raised with. And he talks about like there's really there's two types of characteristics. He said there's because he's a clinical psychiatrist as well and psychologist and used to run like mental facility so he's seen in the worst worst but he said basically you're either a narcissist or you're you have a character defect and a person who has a character defect is basically what we're talking about is someone that's always the victim it's always an out entity and not everything through their eyes in the world is it's the world on them and so even when they do stuff that's well they don't even take credit for it you know what i mean like they literally it's like they don't exist almost they're just like a part of it and then the narcissist can be you know, um, obviously we know narcissists, you know, you'd be really e egotistical and it's always about you. But then also when the things are wrong in the world, it's about you too. Like, it's you know what I mean? Fault. It's your fault. So like when you'll see people, I'm sure we know, like when the, like the church goes through these changes or when you see like people leave, they take it as like, oh, it's like there's, they take it onto them. Not that it's their fault, but it's like they take that energy onto them or the government's going bad and they're depressed. It's, you know what I mean? Like, and, and they can't control their own. They're controlled by their circumstances around them always. Anyways, but that's what I was thinking about when you guys were talking about that. But, yeah, I think there's just some great tools. I mean, obviously, we're looking at your website where we've been talking this whole time and looking through the steps and the links. And, you know, if you're if you're listening and you identify um, with her, you know, go to this codependentmormon.com.
com, not org. And then you can also go, she has also her links, which is to the coda.org. Coda. So definitely, and, and as for you, yeah, ch check out the church, check out what they wrote for this thing and let me know, you know, write back to us in an email and let us know what you think. All right. I was going to say a really good way to, to know a codependent, they can't accept praise. So if you tell them thank you for something, they'll yeah. always come up with an excuse as to what. Oh, I love your hairstyle. Oh, I woke up this way. Or I love your dress. I got it at Goodwill. They just can't say thank you. So it's one of those big Mohawk. things. They I'm just sitting here thinking about all the wives I know. Like, was the Mohawk be, and the nose ring part of that? <laughs> what? Like, trying to seek attention? Curious. Um. So I was, I, I don't yeah, know what I was. It, it just it just who I was. But if you're at BYU and you can't have a shaved head and a nose ring, that's because of me. They set the policy. Like, oh, I was the one. To the list. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was the one that made that policy in 1991. Yeah, I love it. Like, yeah, right. The only facial hair a, a man I, can have there is a stash. I think you have to yep. get a card for it still. Maybe? Yeah, you still have to get a yeah, card. Yeah, you have to have doctors. As doctors if that's note. like, you know, now they're back in. But for a while there, they were like, it's yeah. kind of creepy to have a yeah, mustache. It's you were fighting now for it's a like, mustache. dude, it's normal. I mean, I have one for months, and I, you know, anyways. But anyways, yeah, we'll... I think for me, the 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 weird look is. I mean, I was um, my mom expected me to be bad, and here I was like this this at a four point two GPA, at a four point zero, graduated sixth in my class, president of three clubs, vice president of two. I was like really involved that's in school, really smart right. kid. Yeah, so, that's why you were in BYU. You knew what you were doing. Yeah. Well, but let me look weird. You know, if, yeah. if I'm going to do all these weird, if you think I'm doing all these things, well. by all means, I will play the part, but I just never. Yeah. Hey, well, again, thank you. Um, codependentmormon.com is your website. Um, you're going to take the personal challenge of, of, of looking at the spousal support. And yes. What are uh, any last minute challenges or invitations to those that are listening that might be and saying, hey, maybe I am a codependent. Uh, and, and they're, but they're saying, yeah, but 12 steps are for the addicts. Those are for the people that are taking pills or looking at porn or, or, or married doing, to it. Because you probably had a temple recommend and like on the church standards, yeah. you had all the boxes checked. So why do you exactly. need this? Why do you need this? This is for the people that are breaking the word of wisdom or law of chastity. You don't need that. That's for those people. Uh, I think the biggest thing is the 12 steps will help you free yourself from, from all the weight you've carried around, all the guilt, all the pain, all the regret. And you learn that, yeah, you made mistakes, but you'll be better today. Um, the only way to heal from codependency is to love and care for yourself. That's it. That's your only, the only cure is to love and care for yourself. And the 12 steps help bring you closer to your heavenly father's plan for your life. It does not take you away from the church or from what the church believes, but it's handing your life over to God to see what he can do with it. And it's a, it's a leap of faith and it's, it's trust and it'll restore relationships in ways you can't even imagine. And it's been, it's been an awesome journey. Well, awesome. What, do, you have a, do you have a favorite episode of our episodes you've listened to? I like the one about the surfer, the, the surfer in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. That one, um, that was my that was my favorite because it seemed like he was on the top of the world and it all came crashing down and he just picked himself back up. And sometimes I, I you have to you have to realize your life is unmanageable. There are so many people. There's a lady at church and I told her, I'm like, you know, I have a feeling you may be codependent. And she's like, well, don't codependents have to control other people? And I'm like, I'm in recovery for it. I am no longer codependent. I I I don't follow those behaviors anymore. I'm just step 12 share. 
And um, she's like, she's like, you're just trying to control me. And I'm like, I watch your husband walk in and he just like tenses up. And I'm like, when your husband walks in a room, he should smile because you're there. Your kids shouldn't be playing the victim in primary. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, you might have a lot of husbands refer this episode out. (laughs) Right. I might share this episode with a lot of people, but I might get if if the wives find out I share. Holy moly. But I'm telling you, it changes. It changes. It changes almost immediately. Like the biggest thing with with codependence is intimacy. We lack that trust. So I used to sleep on my side of the bed in a bubble and my husband could never touch me because I was safe in my bubble. He couldn't hug me or kiss me or any of those things because I was in a bubble and I was safe because I didn't grow up with that. And so now it's like the exact opposite. He went away on a business trip and I have got two dogs and pillows. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got two dogs and two pillows all around me because I'm used to being next to him now. Like I've learned to trust him and he's not going to hurt me. And it's it's one of the things that I'm going to be focusing on over the next few months is writing a book on um, codependent intimacy and how to regain that and how to learn what that codependents don't even know what that word means. They don't trust somebody enough to share their lives with them. They just well, are participants. And I, and I think it's easier to identify if you're a codependent because your spouse is an addict. But yeah. if you're uh, inherited codependent that you described, that's yep. probably a yep. lot harder to self-identify. I mean, you got to. Yep. You got to be slapped around. A you got to not be like your life. Not like, physically you gotta, slapped, but you've got to yeah. be woken up by yeah. by yep. behavior or identified or someone's twelve step you. Um, and I think this is I've seen many of families that that fearful of their husbands coming home. Right? They come home from where everyone's happy, whatever. Dad gets home from work, panic on everyone. Exactly. So that's uh, it's gender, not gender specific. Yeah, for sure. Oh no, yeah, it's males and females can be codependent. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. All right, this Kelly. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you guys very much. I'm excited to try out the spousal support. I really want to help people because it goes away quickly. Like once you acknowledge it, give yourself a week and you feel better. For sure. Well, go go there and check it out and share your resources with them. I'm sure there's a lot of people there that need yeah. your help. Our, our, the general ARP uh, benefit and even uh, the men's only meeting, like really benefit from people that have recovery from AA or NA or SA. And they come and bring that. But when you have the full gospel overlaid on it, um, so yeah. I can see a very, you know, a spousal meeting with you using the spousal support manual, but also overlaying and saying, well, here's what um, CODA says, because they've been doing it for a lot longer. Um, exactly. And, and use it as a tool to share the gospel as well. Awesome. And I appreciate what you guys do. I think you're helping a lot of people, and I think it's awesome. Thank you for our website. It looks really yeah, good. it looks pretty awesome. In I'll the- get it updated too with all the new episodes. Okay. Oh, sounds good. So good. Travel safe hey. on uh, dropping someone off at Trek, and uh, we'll be in touch. Nice to be Thank you. Yeah. Have a good weekend.
Give him shelter in the hollow of thy 